It is good to be together after our little winter snow break that we had. Raise your hand if you went sledding. Raise them up. Yes. Yes. Raise your hand if you feel the pain of having gone sledding. Yes. I noticed that the age, there was a distinct age there of hand raising. Let me pray for us and we're going to jump right in. Father God, thank you that you, um, you know what each of us carried in here this morning. Lord, thank you that you see us. You see where we are on this journey, this story that we're living out. Lord, you know what you need to speak or want to speak into our minds and hearts individually this morning. I thank you that you're that kind of God. I thank you that you're able to do that. And I pray that myself and my friends would have open hearts, open minds to hear your words speak life into our story, our journey. God, would you give us ears to hear and hearts that want to know you. We pray that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I played um, competitive basketball growing up. And the only reason that, yep, whoop, whoop, the only reason I need to share that with you is because it's an issue now. Because I have a nine-year-old that's playing basketball, okay? Now, here's why it's an issue. I get a little confused about my role sometimes. See, I have a daughter and three boys. My daughter played basketball for about five minutes until she realized that girls were going to be mean and she quit. So I have three boys that have played basketball, okay? So I don't coach them. My husband, Bill, coaches them. And I sit in the stands. This is very difficult for me, okay? Because nine-year-old basketball has a lot of injustice that goes on, all right? And I feel sometimes compelled. It just comes out. It just, it just comes out of my mouth to point out the injustices. See? So, for example, I don't have a lot of trouble with double dribble. I mean, they're nine, right? But triple dribble, I have a problem. Okay, right? And I just feel compelled to share it. I sometimes get confused that I'm not the coach. There's three men over here on the bench. And I feel need to coach from the stands, right? Get your hands up. Stay between your guy and the ball. You know, it's, it just slips out. It's an issue, people. One last thought. One last thought. The whole picking up the ball and taking like a Sunday stroll with it and nobody calls it, that's an issue. So then I feel the need to be the ref. I feel the need to be the coach, the ref. Very difficult to sit in the stands. It's only been a 25-year problem for me, and I'm working on it. I sometimes get confused about my role. Because I'm so passionate about it. I get confused about my role. And that's exactly what happened to Jonah. He got confused about his role. Because he was so passionate about what he felt. He got confused about his role. See, Jonah's role was he was a prophet of God. He was a mouthpiece for God in this world. Whether God spoke to him audibly or just laid it heavily on his heart, we don't know. But he was meant to be a mouthpiece to speak for God to the hearts of the people in this world. He was a moral compass for God in the world. But he got confused about his role. And instead of listening to God and being a mouthpiece for God, he began to play God. And on the surface, you can understand how this might have happened. See, God told Jonah to go to a city called Nineveh. Nineveh was to the north. Jonah went to the southwest, all the way to the Mediterranean Sea. And then he got on a boat 
for a city called Tarshish. Now, Tarshish in the ancient world, get this, was known as the ends of the earth. So Jonah said no to God all the way to the ends of the earth. That's how big he said no to God. That's how big he had stepped into God's role. On the surface, he had a really good reason for not wanting to go to Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Okay, now in case you're a little dusty on your ancient history, let me bring you back up to speed on the Assyrians. They had discovered the use of metal in war. So they had metal spears. They had metal chariots. They had swordsmen and archers on horses using metal against armies of men on foot with wooden spears. The Bible and ancient archaeology has uncovered that these Assyrians were merciless. They, they depict scenes of bodies just lying, strewed out across fields where the Assyrian army with their chariots and their archers literally came in and wiped out nations. They were merciless and they were oppressors of people. They were dark, evil people. So, so Jonah had a really good reason for not wanting to go to Nineveh because when they would conquer these armies, they would take the, the king of these nations and they would gouge his eyes out. And then they would take the generals of the defeated army and they would literally put a hook in their lip and they would lead them back to Assyria like this, being pulled by a hook in their lip. And when they got there, they would decapitate the generals and the king of this nation in front of all the Assyrians, in front of all the prisoners, and say, if you cross us, this is you. Jonah had a good human reason for not wanting to go to Nineveh and say, hey, God said that you guys are all on the wrong path and you need to turn this sucker around and follow him. He very well could have been killed for that. But there's something deeper going on with Jonah. It's a heart issue that Jonah has. He's mad. He has seen these people slaughter. He has seen these people oppress. He has seen these people drowning in their own wealth. And he is mad that God wants to give them mercy instead of justice. Jonah's mad at God. He's mad that God would, would show them mercy when they have never shown mercy. He has a heart issue. He thinks God is falling down on the job. And so he steps into the role of God. Here's where this can hit us, friends. Where in your life right now do you maybe feel that God is falling down on the job? Where is life hard? Where's life hard for someone you love? Where is maybe there been an injustice that's been done and you feel like God is just allowing it to happen, that he's silent? Where are you waiting and you're just waiting where might you be angry? Where might you be really tired right now? Whatever person or situation or, or place came to your mind just then, that's the place that you might be tempted either consciously or completely unconsciously to slip out of your role of follower of God and begin to play God. Because you don't think God's doing a good job. And so, you know what? You're not going to do it God's way anymore. I'm going to do it my way, even when I might not even realize I'm doing that. I slip in to doing it my way. 
Now, Jonah would say that that did not work out well for him, okay? So here's what happens. He's on the way to the end of the earth saying no to God. He's angry, and he's on the boat, and he goes to sleep down in the bottom of the boat. You know what I think? I think he was depressed. I think he was ashamed, and he was asleep in the bottom of the boat. And a great storm comes up. Now, when I say great storm, the word in Hebrew there is that God hurled, was hurling the storm at this boat, hurling the storm. And these are experienced Phoenician sailors. They'd seen everything on the sea. And interesting to me, they did not know God, but they knew this was of a God. And so they begin to pray to their gods and nothing happens. And this storm is literally taking apart their boat. And then they remember Jonah and they're like, something is wrong. And they go grab him up and they're like, dude, who are you? What is going on? And after a while, he confesses. He said, I'm a Hebrew. I follow the God that is in charge of nature and land and us. And this is my fault. And eventually, eventually he convinces them, this will not stop until you toss me in the water. And so eventually they do. They're terrified. And, and we pick up the story today as Jonah's in midair. He's about to hit the water. And we'll find out in his prayer later that a lot happens. But we pick up in the beginning of chapter 2 with this. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. Now I just want to take just a, a small pause and say, I never read the Bible until I was 22 years old. And of the first time I had come to church or in the beginning of my journey of following God, I had come to church and they were talking about a man being swallowed by a whale. I would have struggled with that. Where I am today, I've seen the God, the one true God, reach into our natural order and do miracles. I've seen it after 25 years of following him. And Jesus actually says that Jonah was a real person, that this actually happens. Listen to this. This is Jesus talking about Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So Jesus believed this story about Jonah. But all of that being said, if you're here today and the fish is a stumbling block, put the fish aside for a second and just say, God, what do you want my heart to hear from this story? Just put the fish aside. What do you want my heart to hear from this story? So Jonah's in the belly of a whale. What do we not want to miss about that? Whose fault is it that Jonah's in the water? Whose fault? It's Jonah's fault, right? Because Jonah heard from God. He ignored God, and Jonah did exactly what Jonah wanted to do. Do we ever do that? <laughs> do we, we hear from God? We, we know, right? Or we sense what God would have us do, and, and we ignore God or we leave him out of that one little area of our life and we do exactly what Holly wants to do. And if that train wrecks, if there's an area of our life where I've been doing that, where I've, I've sort of, you know, sectioned it off from God and I train wreck it, maybe it's a, a whole series of bad decisions in college. Maybe it's an unhealthy relationship that I go back to and back to and back to. Maybe it's a broken relationship that I will not work to restore. Maybe it's a marriage that I'm letting disintegrate. Maybe it's a dishonest financial decision and now I'm fired. Maybe you're an addict. 
and you keep coming back to it, and it's hurting you and everybody around you. If there's this little area of your life or a big area of your life that you've train wrecked, you'll be so tempted to not pray to God. The guilt and the shame that will be in your heart will leave you saying, God wouldn't want to hear from me. This is my fault. I got myself into this mess and I have to get myself out. God wouldn't want to hear from me. I blew him off and train wrecked this thing. Why would he listen to me? Friends, hear me say, God always wants us to cry out to him. He always wants us to cry out to him. Hear the heart of the Father. Listen to what Jonah said. In my distress, that's an understatement, I called to the Lord. And he answered me. From the deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to me, God. Hear where Jonah was. He was at the end of his strength. He was out of his own ideas. He was at the end of any resources to fix his situation. And so the only thing left was, I called out to the Lord. I cried out to him. And do you hear the words, friends? He answered me. He listened to me. In the middle of his guilt, in the middle of his shame, God always wants us to cry out to him. Jonah is clear that this is God's doing. This is God's divine correction. Listen to this. He prays in Jonah 2. God, you hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled around me, and your waves and breakers swept over me. Jonah's clear that God is correcting him here, and yet he still cries out to God. Why? Because Jonah knows something deep in his heart to be true of God, and this is what it is. He knows that the God he follows, the one true God, is the God of second chances, and third chances, and fourth chances. Friends, he knows this to be true of God, that God is the God of second chances, that this church, God's people, are not perfect people. If you walked in here today and you're carrying something ugly, or you've trained wrecked some area of your life, and you think, what am I doing in church? God wouldn't want to hear from me. If they knew what was going on in my heart, in my life, in my marriage, in my family, they wouldn't even let me in this place. And I want you to hear me say that's a lie. It's a place, God's church, for people who need second chances. It's actually a place that is filled with people who have already been given second chances and third chances and fourth chances. I know that I have. Sometimes when people begin to read the Bible for the first time, I'm going through an Old Testament Bible study right now, and, and it's really fun because when people begin to read the Bible for the first time, they kind of start to imagine it's going to be full of holy people, Right? That, that righteously followed God. And then they begin to actually read the words and they're like, these people are messed up, right? They actually encounter real people that desperately needed second chances. Like Abraham. He's the father of our faith. He's, he's the one that God chose to say, okay, Abraham, I'm going to be your God and you and your family that I will give you are going to be my people. He started with Abraham and Abraham and Sarah were promised a child that they desperately longed for. And they waited and they waited and they waited, but then they got tired of waiting. And so Sarah said, hey, 
sleep with my maidservant, and he did, and she had a child, and it almost destroyed their marriage. And God said, Abraham, you need a second chance. Yeah, yeah, I got to do. And Moses, when he, when he grew up enough to realize, oh my gosh, I'm not Pharaoh's son, I'm actually Hebrew. And then God opened his eyes to the injustices that were being done to the Hebrew people, his people, in front of him. And he got so angry that God would allow this injustice to happen that he murdered one of the gods, guards. And then he ran off into the desert. And God went and found Moses there. He said, Moses, you need a second chance. Yeah, I need a second chance, God. King David. King David was a great man, but he wasn't a perfect man. He united all of God's people into one kingdom. God said of him, David is a man who has my heart, a heart for God. But David became consumed with lust, and he was led astray by lust, and he saw a woman and had adultery with her, and then he tried to cover it up by murdering her husband in the middle of war. David was not a perfect person, and God went to David and said, David, you need a second chance. Yeah, yeah, God, I, I need a second chance. What about Rahab? She'd run from God her whole life. As a matter of fact, she was trapped in, in, the, in the trap of prostitution with, with no way out. And she heard about this God of the Hebrews. And she just barely opened her heart to say, this might be true, this might be real. I wonder if God would hear even me, even me if I cried out to him. And she just dared to cry out to him, even though she had this life of darkness and evil. And, and God said to Rahab, do we need a second chance on a different life? And she said, yeah, yeah, God, I do. Jonah knew that this was the heart of the Father. He's the God of second chances. The great irony of this is that a second chance is the very thing that Jonah did not want God to give to the Ninevites. And now Jonah, Jonah needs a second chance. Jonah needs it to be God the Father that's the giver of second chances that sees us guilty and ashamed and reaches into our lives and offers a second chance. Now Jonah needs that, but God has to take it really far to get that through to Jonah's heart. I want to challenge us now to take Jonah's story away from being a kid's story and into being an adult story. And I want you to hear the words that Jonah later praise, describing what this was like for him. These are Jonah's words. When he was thrown into the water, he says, the currents were swirling around me. Try to imagine this. The waves and breakers were sweeping over me. I was engulfing water. My life was threatened all around me as far as I could see. I was surrounded by the deep Seaweed is wrapped around my head, and I am sinking down in the water, and the earth beneath me is going to bar me in forever. He is literally facing the brink of death. He's at the last moment, and he finally says this, but you, listen to the words, Lord, my God, brought me up from the pit. When my life was literally ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayers rose to you, to your holy temple. Do you hear it? He doesn't say it, but you, Lord, are you, God. He says, you, Lord, 
my God. I just remembered that I'm not God and you are. And there's going to be a whole lot of things that happen in this life that I won't understand this side of heaven. That I'll think you're wrong, God. Or I th- and I'll be angry and I'll be waiting and I'll be wondering where are you and what are you doing? And a lot of times that will be my reality on this side of heaven. But my role is follower. And I just remembered that. And so I'm going to confess with my lips, Jonah says, but you, Lord, my God, I will give this area of my life back to you. I will stop hiding. I will surrender it to you. I will trust you even when it doesn't seem to make sense. Jonah had to be pushed to the very brink of death for God to get back a hold of his heart. He could have surrendered at any point. I mean, he could have called out, Lord, my God, forgive me at any point, like on the way to the port. He could have done that. Or in the bottom of the boat when he was depressed and sleeping and hiding from God, he could have done that. Surely, when the sailors pull him up on deck and say, dude, who are you? He could have called out to the God of heaven and asked for forgiveness. It took being in the stomach in the bile of a whale Our stubborn hearts. You know, surrender is one of those words that as soon as you say it, it just sounds bad, right? I mean, there's there's nothing positive sounding about surrender. We always use it actually in a negative context, if you think about it. I mean, we live in this country that prides itself in independence and wealth and accomplishment and comfort. And so surrender has this connotation of losing, you know, of defeat, of weakness, But it all depends on who you're surrendering to. Who are you surrendering to? If you choose to take this area of your life that's hidden, that's shameful, that's guilty, or that's train wrecked, and you surrender that, you give back God control of that area, what are you surrendering to? What kind of God? You're surrendering to a God that gives second chances to people who run. He gives second chances to people who are guilty. Second chances to people who have ignored him, who have stubborn, selfish hearts. It's the God of the second chance that's still moving towards people like that, still calling you child, still trying to woo your stubborn heart, even to the brink of death. The God of heaven is still trying to woo our stubborn hearts. And what do you gain if you surrender to a God like that? You gain protection. You gain strength, wisdom, hope. You gain guidance. It all depends on who you're surrendering to. But friends, God, God did not take Jonah to this place of surrender just to, just to make a point. Just to, I'm going to be God of your life and that's it. No, he took God to this place of surrender so, that God, so Jonah might remember God has been merciful with me. And I need to be a voice and a, and a movement and a strength of mercy in other people's lives in this world. Starting in Nineveh. Listen to what he said. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. What I have vowed, what you have asked me to do, I'll do it your way, God. I'll trust you. I'll surrender. I'll do it your way. I will be merciful because you have shown me great mercy, God. 
friends, our, our um, salvation, our protection, our God giving us strength and wisdom and comfort and hope and guidance is not just for us, ever. God never intended that his mercy in our life would be just to bless us. It is that we might turn around and offer mercy in this broken, hurting world. And you know what? It's not just so that we would be an agent of blessing others. When we do that, God blesses us. Listen to this story. You may know that Bill W. started Alcoholics Anonymous. He was at the bottom of his life. He was literally at the brink of death. He had destroyed relationships all over the place. He was an addict. He was stuck. He was literally looking death in the eyes. And he went to a church in New York, and he came to know the one true God. And then he began this series of steps of, of restoration and healing, and he got out from from t- being trapped in the claws of alcoholism. And he went like that for several years and was doing really well and was growing in his faith. And then one night, he was in a hotel, and he was really lonely. It was the day before Mother's Day, and his own mother had abandoned him several decades ago, and it was an old wound, and he was lonely. And he, and he came into the lobby of the hotel, and he sees the bar at the end of this lobby. And he feels in his heart, he says, oh, God, I'm going to get drunk. I want to get drunk. I want to deaden this loneliness, God. And then he did the strangest thing. You have to feel that it was a prompting from God. He said, I've got to find another drunk and tell him my story. And so he calls a random church in town. And he says, do you have anyone in your congregation that's struggling with alcoholism? And they said, well, yes. And somehow he talks them into putting them together. And he meets Dr. Bob. And he he goes to Dr. Bob and he says, I need to tell you my story. And he just begins to pour out all the story, the ugly, the bad, the trapped, the brink of death, and how God reached in and changed him. And he pours this out to Dr. Bob. And they build a friendship. And over the next months, Dr. Bob comes to know the one true God, begins to follow him. And Dr. Bob and and Bill W. start Alcoholics Anonymous together. You know what I think is powerful about that story? Bill W. didn't go to Dr. Bob because Dr. Bob was in need. Bill W. went to Dr. Bob because Bill W. needed to remind himself what God had done in his life. That God had been merciful, that he had quite literally been on the brink of death, that he deserved to die, that he had wounded all these people. And God had reached into this ugly, guilty, shameful man's life and rescued him. God had shown mercy. God had given a second chance to a man who, quite frankly, most of us would have said didn't deserve it. And as he told how God had been merciful in his life, he was reminded himself. He was reminded himself that there's a God of second chances, that, that God's people are not perfect people. <laughs> They're people that have been given second chances and third chances, and they've cried out to God at the last minute from stubborn hearts, and he has answered them. He has listened to them. And as he told Dr. Bob the story of this merciful God, It was renewed in his own heart. God of mercy. God of mercy. 
our surrender to God and our, our, our accepting God's mercy is never to our own end. We are to be agents of mercy. Who in your life right now needs to hear about a merciful God? Who needs you to say as they're pouring out something that's going on in their life? Hey, can I pray for you? I go to this great church. Would you ever think you might want to come with me? Man, I got to tell you, I've been in messes too, and God's been so merciful to me. Maybe, maybe you bring God into it. Who in your life right now does God want to pour the mercy that he has shown you in your life into theirs? God's mercy and surrender and blessing is never to our own end. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for the mercy that you have shown us. We thank you that you do not require that we be perfect people because none of us would make it. God, we actually rest in confessing that right now, that there are areas in our life, God, we confess are not surrendered to you. They're hidden from you that we want to grab hold of them and we want to do it our way because frankly, we think you're falling down on the job. And so we confess that. If we're not ready to surrender that, we ask that you might help us to pray through that, to consider that. And Lord, as ill-equipped as we might feel, would you help us to be agents of mercy in this world? Because you've been merciful to us, would you, would you help us to not keep that to ourselves, but to offer that to the people that you have purposely placed in our lives? Would you help us to be agents of mercy, God, in this broken and hurting world? We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.